Hey everybody, welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 64. My name is Gabe Estel, and I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Getz, Dennis Levi-Leach, and our very special guest, <laughs> Betsy Blodgett. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, well, glad everyone is here, and tonight we've got a very special show. This is part of our Scouting Report series. Uh, that leads up to the uh, Desert Trip Festival in October. So we're going to be profiling uh, one of my favorite bands tonight, The Who. Um, this was uh, one of the first bands to really reach me when I was young. Um, it was peak adolescence for me when I think I got Who's Better, Who's Best in 1992 or 1993. Sometimes we have to start with greatest hits. Um, so that's, that's just the way it works sometimes with classic rock. It is. Um, and that, yeah, and that, that album, uh, I got it like I think when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and it really kind of changed everything for me. For the next 10 years, it was basically full on classic rock, you know, minus, you know, Pearl Jam and the Black Crows and some hip hop, but that's, uh, that's other than I knew that. You was... were a badass when I saw that you had hey. that. Album. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they were really one of the first bands to really reach me, you know, like sitting in my bedroom, just, you know, on the floor, staring at the ceiling, just kind of wondering what it all meant. You know, they were, <laughs> and, uh, as, as good a lyrics as you could write, you could tell Pete had been there as well. So um, that's my backstory with The Who. And uh, I think we'll, we'll start by telling, uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about our introduction to them. Betsy, I know you're a very big fan. <laughs> so how did you get into them? Um, I found The Who by way of the Disney Channel. Because doesn't everyone? Doesn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was in seventh grade and the Disney Channel had like, special weekends where like we didn't have it but they had like special freebie weekends and they were showing the amazing journey tommy documentary about the the making of the musical oh okay and like i just watched it because it was on um and i think it's like an hour maybe an hour and a half but i was like sold hook line and sinker by the end of it so then I think there was a BMG music situation, so then I got like all all the albums and worked up from there. So good deal. Yeah. Good deal. <laughs> Thanks, Disney Channel. Coming through for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so, um, uh, and that was what? How old were you? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Twelve-ish. Um, all right. Yeah. It's about the same age I got into. I might I might yeah. have been thirteen. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good yeah. Stuff. I remember I bought my first compilation. I bought Who's Better, Who's Best off of uh, a buddy's dad, uh, Matt Bozarth's dad, Phil Bozarth, had two copies of Who's Better, Who's Best for some reason, and I gave him five bucks for one of the copies. <laughs> Took it home. Best five I, bucks I, you ever spent. Yeah. Right? I was I was uh, I wasn't well versed in the Who enough to know that like they they gave the radio they put the radio edits on there. Right. Right. Get fooled again, yeah. and uh, Who Are You? Yep. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, and so I would have been if you were thirteen. I would have been eleven, and I would. My first introduction is that same album, and I'm sure maybe you might have even been one of the first people to play it. Although, I mean, listening to classic rock, WYMG, growing up around in Central sure. Illinois, you, you always heard the Who. But um, and then one of the first records, like in the first little stack of records I got somewhere, 
quad a beat up copy of Quadrophenia was in there. And so like that was kind of my second introduction to the Who and it was like this is totally different than the stuff I'm hearing <laughs> on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like I like it almost seemed like a totally different band to me. Right, yeah. At that point you would maybe hear I'm one on the radio, but <laughs> not much more off of Quadrophenia. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine unless like you're really cool. Quadrophenia is like your introduction to the Who, you know? Like, no, yeah, it would have to be very. It was almost. It was almost a turnoff, almost because it was yeah. like this is that same band. It was like, <laughs> but like I've obviously grown to like it later. But yeah, yeah it was it, listening to the radio hits and then having that be like one of the first albums I got because I didn't actually probably buy that Who's Better Who's Best CD until a few years later. Mm. Um, Who's better? So it's, it's funny that like all of us have a shared experience around the greatest one of one of the, one of their like eight hundred greatest hits right. compilations. I I, uh, <laughs> I saw it on vinyl like a few months ago, and oh, really? I, I bought it just because it was like this. I had this value. CD, yeah, the CD of it had so much sentimental value, and it's only and got I, like, what, I, ten songs on it, and yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a short one. Um, but uh, actually, I've if we could, I'll, I'll jump right into the misconceptions with them, though, uh, with the band. Is this idea, it's interesting that, you know, Pete Townsend is considered this guitar god, but he's not a shredder, necessarily. No. You know, he, he doesn't go up, he's not real flashy. You know, he's mm-hmm. more of an orchestra conductor, and, you know, he's a riffmeister, and, uh, you know, he'll throw in the, the flourishes when he needs to, but otherwise, you know, he's he's pretty subdued, relatively speaking. It was a it was a it was a group effort, you know, musically. Um, I mean, him with with writing the music and and the lyrics, but um, but yeah, there was. You're right. He's not he's not Jimi Hendrix or. But at like the same that. time, it feels like I'm well. Nobody could really be Hendrix, but he could have done all. He could do a lot on the guitar sure. if he wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just like, well, there's not really a place for it <laughs> in the music sure. he yeah. writes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was more about the layers of sound. The composition. Because uh-huh. I mean. Some of the later Who records, there's so many synthesizers and things going on in the backgrounds. It's just layers after layers of sound. Mm-hmm. Well, he listened to a lot of classical music, so yeah, I think there you go. That influence probably made it a little bit different than other bands with the yeah. with the layers. And I guess you know how, then that would also influence this idea of movements throughout an album mm-hmm. uh, or double album. Uh, and you know what you what you have with Tommy and and uh, Quadrophenia, and even you hear even with later stuff, Endless Wire, and um, I think on one, it's harder face dances. There there are licks there that that harken back to licks from the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. and it's pretty obvious that he's he's just kind of carrying this thread throughout. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I don't deal in superlatives that often, but probably the run from Tommy to Quadrophenia is probably about as good as any band. You know, yeah. I can't really, um, I mean, maybe up, I'd be right up there with the Stones with, uh, you know, Sticky Fingers, Exile, or I'm sorry, um, um, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile. Um, and maybe it's even the best, the Who's run, in terms of creativity. Um, you know, one thing that... If I could, if I could throw in a little bit of a qualm, 
Um, <laughs> if we could start there. And also, I've got other superlatives. You know, maybe I'll do that first. I mean, I think the quick one from Rolling Stone Rock and Roll Circus is probably my favorite live performance of any song yeah. ever. Yeah. That, probably, they did it so well that that's... So good. Supposedly, that was the main reason they never released the footage, is the Stones supposedly sucked, and the Who, like, <laughs> outplayed them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that's my favorite favorite live performance ever. And I, I don't usually deal in, you know, the superlatives like ever. That's it, all time, you know, but it is. That one is, that's my oh, favorite yeah. live performance mm-hmm. ever. Um, and then, uh, you know, also, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I can't really think of a better rhythm section ever. <laughs> oh, there's two maniacs. Oh, yeah. um, if I could go with a qualm, though, is, um, I get, to, I'd like to hear Betsy's take on this as well. <laughs> The output, in my opinion, post-Quadrophenia is sporadic and inconsistent. It seems like uh, after Quadrophenia, there was a little bit of a funk that maybe they shook off a little bit when Who Are You came out. But then, you know, Keith was dead shortly thereafter. And to me, it just seems like, I don't know if necessarily their hearts have been in it for the last 37 years. I know I, I gave I gave you a lot there to chew on, Betsy. <laughs> All right, well, but to me, like it's like you know other bands that are like godlike bands put out some really good records after 1973. While I think By Numbers is a good record, um, you know I, I don't know. To me, it's like it's sad that like one of my favorite bands' output had to at least quality really qual high quality output had to stop. That's me. That's just me. Well, I think that's fair. I mean. Yeah. The fact that they only have, they have so few albums anyway, I think, says something. True. But with the whole Lifehouse debacle and like the pain of making Quadrophenia, I think sure. the direct after it was just you know too much too much for Mr. Townsend, and I think they just they spent two years touring. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so much time on the road that they all got burnt out. Yeah. And then that was that. Um, and then, of course, Keith died. Last two yeah. albums. Um, I think it all goes down to whether Pete has his head in the game or not, if he's interested in doing it. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe he just wasn't. And maybe still yeah. isn't. Maybe he's not, yeah. I mean, they certainly still play a lot of shows. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I think it's it's... It's easier to play shows than to like compose amazing things like Tommy and absolutely, you know. So yeah, listen. I mean, those are so good. Like I said, that you know, I mean, retire and you'll still be one of the best bands. If they called it quits in like 1975, would have you know the reputation's not really tarnished in my opinion. Um, But uh, yeah, Tommy and Quadrophenia are so complex that um, I I can understand how it would be hard. How those would just sap you. Yeah. You know, project and then with the life house. Well, and, and so right after, well. right after uh, Keith died, that was when they got rid of Lambert and Stamp, right? It was, be- I believe. It was kind of the same time, a little. It bit It was before. like right around there. Yeah, I yeah. Um, but I think which we hadn't we haven't mentioned Lambert and Stamp yet, but they right. were pretty important. Oh yeah. Characters. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I don't think that. Tommy would have been made without Kit Lambert, mm-hmm. or really any of it. Um, and that's another thing, you know, after Tommy, Pete kind of lost Kit Lambert as a, 
you know, mm-hmm. a helper, a muse, as it yeah. were. And so Cosmo. he was kind yeah. of rolling alone on Quadrophenia and Lifehouse. Or who's next? <laughs> uh, I, d- I just realized we're, uh, we're, we're recording this near the anniversary of Keith's death as well. Yeah. September 7th. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's true. And it's, it's yeah. fascinating how uh, how much of a se- part of the sound that Keith had um, along the lines of, uh, you know, John Bonham with, with uh, Zeppelin and how it's so rare when you have a drummer that's so integral to a band sound, yet you had two probably of the top, the top two ever in the 70s, uh, you know, with these 70s bands, Zeppelin and, and who, uh, and... and and to have both of those guys kind of doing their thing simultaneously, and then after they, you know, after they 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 passed away, all of a sudden the band kind of comes to this not a screeching halt, but a halt more or less. And you know, granted, the, the Who did put out a, a couple records immediately afterward, um, but that mo- it just you know killed the momentum as well. Yeah. Well, it killed the momentum, but they'd also been doing it. For 20 years by that point, which I think anybody doing anything for 20 years, you're going to lose your momentum. And when you're looking at, like, the state of the music world in the early 80s, I mean, that's not, that's just a whole different sound. They weren't going to put on makeup and try and become... Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, in the end, rock and roll is a young man's game, and by that time, they're the dinosaurs. Yeah, especially yeah, back even, in that day. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to think, like, you know, 1978 seems like so long ago to all of us, and well, we, none of us were around in 1978. <laughs> but, um, you know, just hearing 1978, um, when at that time, you know, they were they were a really veteran band at that yeah. point, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, that, yeah, it, it, it's when Keith, did, I mean, Keith was like 32 when he yeah. died, so for like, you know... A rock and roll star, that's kind of old, you know? Yeah, yeah. Rock so. years pre-1990, rock years are like dog years to, compared <laughs> yeah. to post-1990. Like, Because even though Pearl Jam's been doing it for 25 years, it's different than if they had done it from 1965 to 1980. That's you know, right. That's like the yeah. equivalent of like 40 years. <laughs> you, yeah. you you wore them a lot harder before 1990. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Everybody did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, let's talk about let's talk about post Keith then. Is that cool with everybody for a minute? Um, well, can, well, hold, on, hold on. Can we talk about John real quick? You go for John. it. Yeah, I, I think one of my misgivings is is the idea that, as usual, the bass player is kind of pushed to the side, and I think John was the most one of the most enig- enigmatic uh, bass players or musicians of of his time, and and his mm-hmm. contributions, his songwriting contributions were really integral to those albums where, you know, it was just the right spot for a lot of his songs. Uh-huh. And uh, we were watching a quick little uh, YouTube video on him today. And, and uh, he just, he talked about how he, he didn't play the bass. He played the bass guitar. You know, he liked to play it like a guitar. Right. And uh, he's treble heavy. For oh bass. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and it was totally fascinating. Just like 15 minute little doc. And, uh, you know, him believing that, you know, it was much more than just about the bass. And, and his um, and his solo efforts are are his great. His, his smash your head against the wall is on par with with uh, Pete's best solo oh, stuff yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think John gives a integral uh, 
I hate to say comedic value, but like wit yeah. with his songs oh, yeah, that maybe Pete's seriousness needs to offset. Yeah, he's more playful. Yeah. I read and my to- wife's him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. I read today that in, um, I think it was pre-65, I'm not for sure, but Kit Lambert talked to him about doing an album of children's songs. And he had written, like, 15, like, scary, dark, John Entwistle children's songs for an album, which I thought would have been fantastic. That would be amazing. I'd be all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good deal. Yeah, no, John's, John's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, my favorite bass player, you know? I mean, him and Chris. So he filled a lot of sound. I mean, because if you think about it, it was just him and Pete. And Keith, basically, making right. all the noise of that band live. Sounds a lot louder yeah. than three guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a wall of sound. Oh, shit. Well, in the lead up to this episode, I've been listening to post-Keith stuff a little bit more, you know, like uh, with the two records, Face, Face Dances. Dances, that's hard. Yeah. And, it's hard. Uh, and it's hard. And I like them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I didn't... Um, I, other than the singles, I have to admit I, I didn't listen to those records too intently. Um, but I like them. I like them both. I think they're they're respectable. For it had to have been a difficult time for those guys uh, to to have sort of music, you know, your life without Keith and just like Betsy alluded to earlier, just the the changing musical landscape in the early nineteen eighties. Um, it was hard. As as they said, maybe that's what they meant, right? (laughs) Who knows? Uh, It's probably something else, but anyway. Um, But uh, yeah, so given the circumstances, I I think both those records are 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 good. I I, I think they're both uh, they're both really they're both good records. I don't know if they're great records, but they're they're good records. Solid. I think they're easy to ignore, but then when you actually listen to it, you're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I remember this. This is good stuff. Yeah, Athena. I love Athena. She does love Athena. Uh, I actually, I, and then, I think it's hard. It's a little bit stronger than Face Dances. I do too, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're. Um, hmm. I'd, I'd have to listen to them like back to back to to make that to, to make that assertion. I don't that's know. exactly what I did, and that's how I came up with that assertion and the assertion that I think Endless Wire is more consistent than both of them. Ooh. I have to admit, I did not listen to Endless Wire listen to in the in the research for this because I I think the first time I heard it, it, it <laughs> was enough. Once was enough. <laughs> I remember actually buying it on CD. You know, it was like probably like pre iTunes. You know, I've been like what? Like it came out ten years ago. Yeah, two thousand six, yeah. and like dude. I sold it like a couple days later. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, Get it out like of my it CD player. I was just so excited. I was like, wow, okay, a Who album. Interesting. And then I put it on. I was like, oh, all right, next. <laughs> like, seriously. That's a real good looking boy. <laughs> awesome, guys. That's not even on there. Yeah, that's not, it's technically not on the <laughs> it's album. It's not on there. Okay, sorry. Shows how much I know. <laughs> you can tell the album had a profound effect on what, it. What, that came out? Did that come out before? And they just never. It was on a, like a. Greatest Hits thing. Oh, right. It was yeah. like a new song that they recorded. Put yeah, on the on the that old trick. Um, yeah. I went out and got Endless Wire, as I would do again today. And I listened to it a couple times and then moved on. But then, like, years later, I got, like, this thing in my head and I hadn't listened to it. And I listened to it, like, over and over and over. And I got quite taken by it. 
And yeah. I don't know why. Like, I wasn't like, I'm going to make myself enjoy it, but it just kind of came to me. It's just, you know, it's different. It's not... It's, it's as different from, like, 70s Who as Who is, is as different as 60s Who. It's just like a whole different band, practically, obviously. Sure, and I can respect <laughs> that. I don't expect anyone in 2006 to write music like they did in 1968. You know, I just... I I just I, I guess I expected it to be a little better. Like it to me, it made a bigger bang sound like Sticky Fingers. All right, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, how, how it sounded to me. It's interesting <laughs> because Zach Starkey actually didn't even play drums on it because he was touring with Oasis when they recorded it. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, Zach Starkey, for those who don't know, has been their drummer since when? Uh, ninety six. Ninety six, and Zach Starkey being the son of Ringo Starr, for those who aren't he's awesome i mean uh you know mm-hmm. that's uh that's that's the best part about going to see him live in my opinion if i if i you know if you were to go see him like you know this year or something like that he's still playing with them right yeah okay. so he got was he trained by keith moon yeah he was babysat by keith moon <laughs> who the hell <laughs> right seems like... ringo star that's who yeah he's like here you go ringo, uh, keith, I, i've got to go out for a little while <laughs> Just watch the kid, please. <laughs> Teach him drums or something. I'll be back in about a week. Right. <laughs> There's heroin in the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, learned at the foot. Right. Foot in the master. Uh, um, well, you guys have seen them a lot live. Betsy, mm-hmm. you've seen them quite a few times live. Yeah. And um, I haven't seen them since John passed away. Mm-hmm. The two times I saw them in 1997, 2000, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe if you were to play them back for me now, maybe I wouldn't think they were as awesome. It's just I was just stoked to be seeing The Who, you know, once in high school and then once in college. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, they tour a lot still. Like, I've passed up probably about five or six opportunities to see them here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes I regret it. Like I'll go on YouTube and I'll, I'll watch a few clips, and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have. I wish I would have gone. Do you do you feel like um, I don't know? It's a, it's a worthwhile effort to go see them now. I think it's a worthwhile effort. Yeah. They, I know. I don't remember what year Roger had his his uh, throat surgery. Yeah. It was after whatever that Super Bowl year was. Yeah. Um, oh, the, when they played the halftime. When show? When they did the halftime okay. show. Um. Listening to him like we saw him twice this... I saw them twice this year. Um, and then, like, going back and listening to, like, that 2000 Tinley Park show or whatever. Whatever oh, okay. that was. Yeah. Um, after the surgery, his voice has gotten so much stronger. Mm. Like, you... If I listen to those early... Earlier shows, like, it kind of sounds painful. Mm-hmm. Like so to early hear, 2000s? yeah, like okay. to hear him sing, like you're kind of like, oh, like it sounds like it hurts. Um, yeah. But after the surgery, I think when I saw the Quadrophenia tour a couple years ago, and I went to Chicago for it, it was amazing. Like the difference was amazing. The show was really well put together. Um, it was really good, and they brought in a lot of that to this last tour. So you had like really good visuals, um, shook up the set list a little bit. I mean, I could go without who are you and won't get fooled again. 
because okay. I've heard it. Um, yeah. But, you know, I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a show, and um, you get a kick out of it, so I get a kick out of it. <laughs> she always begs me to, like, oh, we should go to Minneapolis tonight. I'm like, sorry, I'm not driving yes. nine hours <laughs> to Minneapolis to go. Yeah. You're going to see the same show two nights in a row. Yeah, yeah they, so. don't, they don't change their set list. I think, actually, I think when I saw them in St. Louis, I don't know, a couple months ago, um, which had been a show that was, like, super rescheduled from way before, and it was the last of the um, the dates, and then they're going to start again in a couple weeks, and Pete was like, uh-huh. come see us in a couple weeks, we may have an all-new set list, but we probably won't. <laughs> and I was like, hey, <laughs> you own it, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. it, it takes a lot of effort, you know, I mean, to... You know, to to rehearse new songs well, and everything like that. But. I think that within this group, which is a Pearl Jam group, which is accustomed to a world of new songs every yeah. night, that's not probably what every band does. Yeah, no, they have, I mean, they they have did, a lot they of people up there on stage to yeah. coordinate, too. So. Yeah. Well, they didn't even well, really change their set list back in their prime, either. No, I no. mean, they're... Well, and that was part and parcel with, you know, we're doing Tommy this tour. So it's like, right. then you, they do five other songs and Tommy. Yeah. Probably from a set list perspective, I think their best shows were probably those those years where they weren't really promoting an album. Or well, I guess they would have been by numbers. 75 or so, like 76, those shows. Yeah. Set list wise, I like those the best. Because yeah. they cover like, you know, Everything. you got like about 13, 14 years worth of material, you know, that's all all into one set list. So. They're, they're I, almost a set list agnostic band, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't matter, even though I just said what I said about going to see the same <laughs> show the next night. But back in the day, you would still probably want to go see them every night, even though it was going to be the same set. Well, from the energy, from an energy yeah. standpoint, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, back in the day, I'd have no qualms seeing them, you know, play the same songs three nights in a row, as long as it was, you know... Keith and then John and yep. yeah, yeah. So. I think a, an interesting point we haven't touched on yet is that they were such a different band in their early stages yeah. compared to, to how they ended up. And, and obviously the turning point is Tommy, but it's just amazing to see how they went from like, like quirky British <laughs> type songs to gigantic rock operas uh-huh. and, and they made and they made it work and i don't i'm not sure every band could do that no. you know what i mean right. no. they, they transitioned their sound a lot a lot more than you know uh, than 10 diverses or whatever yeah they i but mean like, they're, they're risky things you know i mean like they, well, i'm sure like the record company wasn't like yeah put out a rock opera you know <laughs> like yeah so uh, yeah they took chances you're right there well i mean they went from being a singles band Uh into an album band which but that also went with what was happening in the industry where people started buying albums as opposed to singles but even their singles i mean you've got like songs about masturbation i mean it's not like you're (laughs) not like your everyday thing um but i mean a quick one was the turning point to to try the new things um but it seems like the 70s albums take in more of what they sounded like live a little bit. Like, it's the broader, the the richer sound. The actualized. Um, yeah, the actualized yeah. sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good point, Levi. 
Cool. Well, let's let's do our album draft of the Who then. Fantasy Island album drafts. Yes. How far? How deep? How deep are we going here? How many? We're, we're going to do three rounds. Three Each of rounds. us are going to pick one album. Okay. Uh, right. As soon as we pick an album, it's off the board. This is these are the albums that we would uh, want to take with us on a uh, Fantasy Island or okay. a, a desert island, a desert Fantasy Island. A desert wreck. <laughs> right. Tattoo all, is waiting it's, for us. It's all a fictional island. So, so, so it could be a desert. It could be. It could be an iceberg. I don't, I don't um, also, live al- official live albums are in play. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, so uh, we said. Um, let's see. We drew before we started, and <laughs> right, Betsy's going to start. Betsy, Levi, Gabe, then me. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to start and take the Who at the Isle of Wight 1970. Whoa. I know. Damn. Whoa. That was my second I Actually, I kind of see what you're doing there. <laughs> wow. That's a, yeah. a heaven or hell opener on that one, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. It is. Um, because Tommy's... I got the DVD of that when it came out in like 96, I think it was. Yeah, it's a good one. He's got a good jacket on in that. Um... Got the Entwistle's got the skeleton outfit on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you get the live Tommy, and I love the live Tommy. Yeah. All right. Plus the wow. smattering of others. Wow. I, I would have lost that on the Newlyweds game. <laughs> I, I would have well, uh, something so, different. <laughs> so for the second pick, then I'm going to keep it live. I'm going for live at Leeds. Wow. What year is live at Leeds? Seventy. Seventy-one. Seventy-one. Okay. I think. Seventy. Seventy. Okay, so it's the same era as Isle of Wight, then, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I just prefer Isle of Wight. Right. Well, and supposedly, supposedly, Live at Leeds was actually going to be... They had all these tapes of American shows, the U.S. Mm-hmm. shows, and Pete Townsend was like, oh, screw having to listen to all these tapes and pick songs, and he had the engineer burn the tapes in his backyard. Yeah. Of course oh. he did. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> And so then they were like, oh, we're going to set up a show at Leeds, and then a, I forgot where the other show was. Kilburn? And the, Kilburn? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think yeah. right. Which well, they, they just released. Having, yeah. They ended up, ha- originally they had technical difficulties with the recording of that show, like the bass didn't get recorded right or something. Uh-huh. And so that's how they were basically forced to release Live at Leeds, <laughs> is Pete Townsend had burned all the U.S. shows, and then the other show they taped, the bass wasn't in it. What a lovable asshole! <laughs> yeah, freaking prick. Still, still we, worked, we could have, man. Yeah, we could have we could have bootleg who live USA recording. Yeah. Oh man! All right, Gabe, your your choice. Um, you know it's uh, I know it's got a lot of singles on it, but uh, I'm gonna go with who's next. It, wow. uh, yeah, you know, it, I like I like the diversity of it. It, uh, it, I think all the songs sound very different, except for Bob O'Reilly and Won't Get Fooled Again. Sort of kind of cut from the same Cynthia. cloth a little bit. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Who's Next. It's it's probably my favorite Who studio record. All right. Um, I, I'm pretty partial to Quadrophenia. Mm, I so I, I got I to go Quadrophenia. The Pearl Jam in you. I, I guess so, actually. Yeah, I, I guess of all of the Who records, that probably had the biggest impact on that that band sound. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so, and and I, and I get the next pick as well. Um, oh, it's a snake! All right. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a snake. <laughs> snake. 
Uh, so I'm really interested to hear what she's going to pick with the eighth choice. Um, but since the, the two the two live ones were already taken, uh, I wasn't expecting that at this point. Um, <laughs> boy, it would be a real dickish move to take Quadrophenia and Tommy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do it. You have to hold the power. It's your world. <laughs> um, no, actually, I think I'll go with uh, uh, I'll, I'll I'll go with a quick one. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice nice uh, pairing there. So Quadrophenia followed by a quick one. Okay, so then is it now Gabe or no? Who is it next? Gabe. Gabe. Oh, um, well, I thought somebody would already choose it, so I'll just I'll go with Tommy. I mean, yeah, yeah. How, how could you, I not? How, how you could know? you not? It's sitting right there for you, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So me then, uh, give me my generation. I like I, I like I've been listening to a lot of early Who and later Who. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that you don't normally I don't always to. reach for when I reach for the Who. You know? Yeah, that's what I did in preparing for this episode. It was yeah. it's it's refreshing to do that. I like the early stuff a lot. I like the energy of it. Is it me? It's you. Mmm. You get two in a row, right? Do I? You do get two in a row. Oh yeah. well, hot shit. Um, I'm gonna do. Who by numbers, so I can feel bad on my desert. I can bask in my sadness <laughs> in the desert. It's an underrated um, record. It is. It's a great record. And then I'm going to go Who Sell Out. So I can bring uh, it back yeah, up. Yeah, that, like, was, yeah, that was one of mine. Baked beans. And so now is it back to me then? It is. Okay. Um, I guess give me It's Hard. Is it me then? Yep. yep. Okay. Hmm. God, running out of options here. Right? Yeah. Fair. So, fair. so just uh, for our audience, there remaining, we have. Who are you? Um, who are you? Face, face dances and endless wire. Endless <laughs> wire. Uh, well, this the, among those choices, it's not too difficult. I'll go with who are you? I'm a I'm a sucker for sister disco. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a little trick of the light. Some, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like Who Are You. Yeah, shout out to Mark Kessler at Recycled Records in Springfield, Illinois. He said he's blown more speakers over the last 40 years to Who Are You than any other song. <laughs> right on. I, I guess that's his jam. <laughs> right on. All right, so I'm going to close this out. And just to annoy Gabe a little bit, no, but more for myself, I'm going to take Endless Wire. <laughs> and we're, we're going to leave face dances out there, Aww. out there hanging. Sorry, face dances. More face dances. So that that concludes it. Uh, yeah, yeah, not bad. We'll, we'll post that on the uh, on the website so you can you can see how that shakes out. And on Facebook. Endless wire, Christ. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right, all right. Um, Okay, so next then we've got uh, we're gonna write the set list for the Who at Desert Trip, right? That they're gonna that old we want to play old at Chella. Or old Chella, as Levi dubbed it. Um, so yeah, 
Wait, I thought it was actually here, right? called Old Jella. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that might be the first time I've ever referred to it as Desert Trip. So, <laughs> I didn't even I think know most it was people called. Were like, oh yeah, where are those where are those old people playing at out in California? <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go with the set list here. Um, I get the first choice. Uh, it's the best choice I ever had. I'm going to take bargain. <laughs> well done. Nice. Good opener. Uh, I'm going to follow it up with a B side. I'm going to do water. Mm. It should have been an A side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I'm going to go with a quick one because I've seen them nine times. That's the only song I want to see. That's the one I want. Oh, all right. They've never played that. Nine times. Nine times. Well, and they started playing it on this last tour, and then they stopped by the time they got to me. Oh, for nine. They need to be sent to the minors. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sent to the minors. I watched watched one of the recent (laughs) ones on YouTube. It was uh, was, was fun. I I would have liked to have seen it. See? We talked about the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus one earlier. That, That performance of that song is... It's got to be the ultimate recording of it. Oh, I, I have played that for people who really weren't even Who fans, and they were like, that was amazing. It's that. like the best thing I've ever heard. I, gotta, <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that at all. The part where he's playing is playing the side of his drum for yeah. the, the soon-be-home. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just like so nine good. minutes of like this <laughs> just roller coaster. And then after the soon-be-home part, I believe they cut to him, he just throws the drum behind him. Yeah. Like, he literally... Like, he has the drum on its side, and he's playing yeah. the side of it, and then he just picks it up and throws it behind him. And it's awesome, because they did it, like, three times, because they had to record it, so oh, they, yeah. they, like, yeah. kept jacking it up, or not oh, yeah. jacking it up, but for movie purposes, they had to keep doing it. You're like, it's so good, yeah. and you've already done it, like, three times? It's amazing. It's a workout, man. It is. And also well used at Rushmore, correct? Oh, so yeah. Well yeah. yeah. Good, good use of that. Good use and of Wes Rushmore. Anderson's Rushmore. Yeah. So after that, we're going to have to take it down just a little bit to, so that the drummer can go collect his drums. And <laughs> uh, we're going to do Tattoo, actually, uh, to, to just chill for a bit. Cool. Um, they're kind of in the chill vein, too, a little bit. Um, I'll go with Love Ain't for Keeping, which I think is an underrated Who song. It gets overpowered by everything else on that album. It does. Um, I'm going to follow it up with Going Mobile. It's always been one of my favorite. choice. Mm-hmm. Kicking it up a notch a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Keep me moving, Levi. That's a, it's a good Pete and then Pete and the Pete, blue, red, and gray. That's what I go for. Do they often do Pete and the Pete no, live? So. And he never does blue, red, and gray. I've seen right. Simon do it, but I've never seen Pete oh. do it. Oh, oh. Betsy's old friend, Simon. My good friend, Simon. <laughs> she bumped into Simon in the concourse at one of the shows. We got a uh, I've, seen the, I've seen the picture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll post all her photos with who members yeah. throughout the week. <laughs> and, and at the end of this episode, we're all just going to just destroy our equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's kick it up a notch now uh, with, and let's let's bust into Quadrophenia with the real me. Nice. Doom, doom, doom. Um, I'll go with uh, next relay, which I like a lot. Um, What's that so, off of? So, God, what is it off of? Um, is it a single? Is it? A single? I think it's, I, I don't think it's on a record. Yeah, I don't think it's. I'm sorry, I don't think it's on an LP. Yeah, I think it's a single. Yeah. Because oh, it was on Hooligans. Hooligans. Uh, 
So that was a compilation, right? Said it was part of the aborted Lifehouse project. Yeah. Right. It's a good uh, one. I'm going to follow that up with Naked Eye. Oof, yeah. Tough one. <laughs> um, and I'm going to bring out the Seeker. I, it, we should just have an arrow. Naked Eye into the Seeker. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna honor the ox and, and do heaven and hell uh, with with the next song. Though they would often uh, open with it, but we're gonna sneak it in here uh, right after the seeker, heaven and hell. Cool. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, with drowned uh, after heaven and hell. Yeah, probably my favorite song on Quadrophenia. Yeah. I'm gonna follow it with Young Man Blues. My the, the Live at Leeds version of that song is probably my favorite Who recording. There's just so much power in that mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It's intense. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to go I Don't Even Know Myself. Which That's I think a good one too. fits with Young Man Blues. In my mind, those are yeah. together. We're picking winners, guys. There, there's no losers in this crowd. <laughs> yeah, no. no. Pete, just email us, and we'll we'll get this set list just to you. Yeah, you we'll figure out it. the lighting and all that, yeah. and how to you know, right. switch between the instruments. Uh, because in the next one, we're definitely gonna we're gonna need some serious lighting effects with Eminence <laughs> Front. Eminence Front, song number yeah. sixteen. The sexiest song. The, se- the sexiest. I mean, the song the about a bunch song. of blow, apparently. <laughs> 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 Have some guest synthesizer players on that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, song's got a saxophone in it too, right? Does it? Does it? It's front? I don't think so. Maybe not. All maybe, right. some, maybe one's hiding in there somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'll I'll, I'll keep the uh, this will be the post Keith um, segment of the show. I'll I'll do another tricky day, which is a great song. I'm gonna I'm gonna play FM radio program director, and I'm gonna go with Who Are You? <laughs> it's I like I said it. Mark Hessler, if that's the song you can crank and blow speakers to, that's good enough for me. <laughs> I, I do actually have a 45 version of that song, and I use it as like a tester when I'm like setting up a system. I'll put that song on just because there's so much going on in that song. Huh. It, it's it's still a ripper. It's one of those ones that I I don't tire of hearing, no matter how popular it is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, since we're getting to the end of the show. Yeah, so we have, like, a couple more slots before the end of the set. Yeah. Um, it's time to bring out the Amazing Journey into Sparks. There we go. Nice. The first, one of the first things I wooed her with <laughs> was I learned Sparks on the guitar. It was a clanky version of Sparks, but it was Sparks. It was Sparks. It was there. According to the chords oh. I was playing in, in, in sequence, it was technically Sparks. <laughs> and, and now you're married. There yeah. you go. So yeah. Sounds like that spark so really lit a fire, Jonathan. <laughs> Put it, put it on the tee for you, buddy. Put it on the tee. <laughs> and so, his birthday. Well, and since we work so, you know, that, that is true. I share a birthday with Pete, which also earns me brownie points. <laughs> um, and and since we work so well together for this to, to close out the set, I'll, I'll take We're Not Gonna Take It into mm-hmm. listening to you. Not necessarily as the sun is rising, like at Woodstock. But why not? All right. I- yeah. I get opinions uh, to begin the encore here. And uh, I'm going to go with an older cover that they did um, in the, I guess it'd been the mid sixties, probably. Uh, Maybe they did it later than that too. I don't know. Um, I'll do shout. 
with since we're at old Chella and uh, if he's if he's if he's kicking around backstage, uh, let's bring out old Mick and uh, have him help out with shout. Ah, you said old cover. I thought you might go summertime blues. Yeah. Uh, the, you know what? That's I regret. A good not, one. Not Dude, that. I I uh, I always like their version better than the Blue Cheers, which I think the Blue Cheer was like a year later than the Who's. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, uh, I only the Eddie Cochran. Blue Cheer is like a kind of an early stoner rock band. Yeah, psych band. They had a hit with yeah, it. Rip. Yeah, it, I think it was from '68. Is the Blue Cheer, and I think the Who was like '67, maybe. <laughs> Um, but my encore, I'm going to call up, uh, we're keeping the special guests going. I'm going to call up Neil Young and he's going to do a rip and join together. Nice. <laughs> nice. I was, I, I was I hoping just, somebody I think would his, pick his join voice together. and his guitar one. on that, I think would yeah. be great. Yeah. That's yeah. That, uh, yeah, I was reading about join together because it's not, again, it's not on a, a, a full length LP. So they recorded it in 73 and then the only time they ever played it live was as a tag on the end of My Generation or something. But it was more of a blues version. But the f- version we're all familiar with is what they recorded in 73. They didn't actually play it in that format, that the, their recorded version, until mm-hmm. like 89. Oh, the reuni- first reunion tour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, and we, we got to hear it, right, mm-hmm. uh, when we saw them a couple months ago here in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, that song rips. That's yeah, you got to play that every encore. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with Neil Young available. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go back to a quick one and go to with So Sad About Us. I know. Get, some, w- get some harmonies in there. I like be, that one. It will not be a crowd favorite, but I will be happy about it. You gotta throw, the, gotta throw the diehards a bone. Yeah. You know? I'm gonna have dynamics right. in the encore. Uh, and then I'm gonna go back to Quadrophenia and, and take 515. Uh, pro- awesome. Probably my favorite song on there. Well, no, I already said that about The Real Me, so it's my <laughs> favorite song. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah the to, show. to close it then, uh, I'll go no with pressure. a good message. The, the kids are all right with. Keith Richards and Charlie Watts, bring out bring out Keith and Charlie. Yeah. Uh, bring out the bring out Charlie's little drum kit, and uh, we're good to go. On the kids are all right. Great. Be like it's be like it's nineteen sixty five all over again. Six or when did kids are all right come out? Sixty four, sixty three. Okay, yeah, uh, really I knew are. it was around then. Yeah, so uh, sixty five. Yeah, sixty five. Oh, we're at the like we're at the marquee. Oh, at the marquee. So, yep. Yeah, that, that's very appropriate, and I think also for the for the gig, it's appropriate. Yeah, right. All right. That's it. That's a hell um, of a set list. That is a hell of a set list. It is. Uh, no, I'm in. No I'm in, guys. Or Baba O'Reilly. No. Nope. This is very Which true. I'm fine with. I'm fine with. There, yeah. I know there will be some diehards out there that might not agree with that, but. I would, I do feel like there should be a bellboy for Keith. <laughs> but, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. I keep a lip button now. They did a nice thing in the uh, Quadrophenia tour where Keith sang it, and so, like, they just went back and forth with the video. It was seamless. It was really good. So it was, like, Keith live singing it. It was really cool. And they did the same with John Entwistle's bass solo during 515. On the video projection? Uh Yeah. 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 Very cool. Just short of holograms, not just, quite, not quite hologram status yet. But, 
Excellent. That's a hell of a set list, guys. Nice work. Yeah, we'll post that too. Yeah, excellent. Um, gosh, you know, uh, I, you know, I think that probably about wraps it up here. Um, yeah. Talk. Uh, we already talked a little bit about us seeing the Who live. Um, Betsy's seen them. Betsy, I think, wins the title. You've seen them nine times. You've seen nine them? times, and I think Roger nine maybe times. five or six nine times. Listen, you are a fan. You like them more, you like that's you like them more than I do. I, I have no desire to see Roger Ultra solo, but um, but yeah, you win. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thanks for sitting in with us. Of course, hanging out. Of Appreciate the insight. Um, Everybody, you can learn so much about rock and roll Shinsuchu. Uh, previous episodes, different links to cool videos and uh, memorabilia, other things we posted at rockchu.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rockinchu. That's in as in naked eye. <laughs> so rockinchu. Follow us there on Twitter and Instagram. Please like us on Facebook. And also, the most important thing that you can do is subscribe to us. So you can, when a new episode's up, you can hear it right away. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube. And then also we're on a bunch of different um, uh, podcasting apps. Guys, would you say you could listen to us anyway, anyhow, <laughs> anywhere, perhaps? Am I right? You got it. <laughs> anyway. If you're going mobile, for sure. Right, it's true. Oh, it's true. oh, oh boy. I'm glad Verizon hasn't gotten a hold of that song yet. <laughs> the, the, the marketers ruined Bob O'Reilly for me, so uh, so let's, let's not touch the rest of the catalog, guys. Okay. Uh, but anyway, thanks again, Betsy, and uh, like to thank everybody for sitting in with us, and please visit rockchew.com. Uh, until next time, uh, we'll see you soon. Good night. Peace. <laughs>